Welcome to Saucer Cinema, the podcast about UFOs, aliens, and otherworldly phenomena in film, TV, and other media. I'm your host, Alex. On this week's episode, I'm joined by Parker Bowman of Junk Food Dinner Podcast to talk about 2002's Signs, directed by M. Night Shyamalan and starring Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix. Everybody, uh, today I have Parker Bowman with me. Um, we're going to be talking about Signs from 2002, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, how are you doing today? <laughs> I am great. Thank you for inviting me on the show. I'm super excited to talk about this movie because I figured I would never be able to swindle anybody into letting me talk about this movie with them. So <laughs> when you invited me on, I was thrilled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the perfect podcast. If there's like some weird little movie about aliens you want to talk about, nobody else wants to talk about, you can always bring it here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a deep history with this movie. I saw it opening weekend. Um, I was a big Shyamalan fan at the time, but only because of Unbreakable. I, ha- I don't even think I had seen Sixth Sense at this time, uh, which is probably strange um, to be a big Shyamalan movie without that piece of the puzzle, but, uh, or to be a big Shyamalan fan without that piece of the puzzle. Like, but yeah, I was stoked on this. Um, I saw it immediately and uh, yeah. And I, I've, I've loved it ever since and have become a staunch defender of it because it does have its detractors. Yes, it does. Uh, but I am not among them, for I, too, uh, have long appreciated this film. Um, also, my history with the movie is kind of interesting because I actually saw it before it came out on an internet bootleg of an unfinished version of the movie. This is like in the days of Kazaa and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But one of my friends got it and uh, it burned it onto a, like a, a CDR, and, I, and we watched it, and it was like, it was a highly anticipated movie because, you know, he had done, uh, Shyamalan had done Sixth Sense and uh, Unbreakable. And, you know, it was like, ooh, this new one with, I guess, I mean, it wasn't really clear. Is it going to be aliens or something else? You know, it was kind of um, kind of like, what's the twist going to be, you know? And uh, <laughs> so so we put it in, you know, we we're excited about it. And it was like this, like, like 80% done version. It had missing effects in some scenes and missing like audio and like there's even a scene where like uh Shyamalan's actually like doing um Joaquin Phoenix's ADR and like and, and, and like <laughs> but um that was my introduction to the movie but it's like it's still I still found it very very gripping and um uh it was like and it was completed enough to like you got the effect of what it was and then I, and then I went to see it in the theater a few weeks later because I worked at a movie theater and uh I really had a good time watching it again and uh so yeah, so I've but I've always liked this movie. Um, I it, you're, like you said, it has a lot of detractors. I'm not sure if that's because of the way it ends, or if it's just because of the Shyamalan burnout. You know, because he was super hyped for a few years, and he had a kind of a sort of a fall from grace, I guess, in the public eye. I don't know. 
Yeah, well, I have my theories about why people have didn't respond well to this movie. Yeah. And I think part of it's the hype that you mentioned. is like people were just like, yo, this is the next Spielberg. So, like, yeah. you know, you hit two home runs in a row. People are just going to be like, oh, yeah, well, I bet he can't hit a third. Screw him. And And then also, I mean, obviously people don't like, as we'll get to, like the water stuff and the thing with the pantry door. People don't like that. Um, and then also I think that there's like a little bit of like retroactiveness to it too, where like after this, he did the village lady in the water and then, which were like not good, but not horrible. And then he made like three of the worst movies of all time in a row. Yeah. And so I think that because this was like the first one before that dip, like it just kind of got lumped in with those retroactively a little bit too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think really like the like because this was a big hit. Like this, this like made a lot of money. And um, but like the one after this, the village, I think was like the one where people are like, okay, I'm getting off the off the train here. <laughs> like yeah, there I, there were definitely a lot of grumblings around the time about the ending of this movie, but it, it didn't really ruin the 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 momentum too much. And I think really the village is what really pissed everybody off. Yeah. I, yeah. The village did it because it has like, it was like, like this movie doesn't really have like a twist. It has like revelations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that also kind of confused people a little bit. Yeah. But with the, the village, I feel like he overcorrected and he's got like four different twists and one of the twists undoes like two of the original twists. And it's just like yeah. a total mess at the end. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like, it's, it's like, exactly. Um, this one, I, I kind of don't think he's really equal this in terms of like his, uh, ability to build suspense and uh, stuff like because this one's actually very um, it's very controlled, very assured. I mean, it's it's like a very confident movie in a lot of ways, even though it's very quiet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's you know in a time where I mean, you know, we had like these big budget things. You had your Independence Days, was probably like the, was probably like the touchstone of alien invasion movies at the time. Yeah. So to make an alien invasion movie where like the scariest thing that happens is like one shows up at your house, <laughs> like is, <laughs> is so confident. Like you could tell like, that, yeah, he was just like, yeah, I'm going to make the scariest alien movie of all time. And it's just going to have like one alien in a house and that's going to be the end of it. Like, so yeah, he's, he's, you could tell he was in full force. of. I mean, he's a guy with no lack of confidence. Yeah. Um, you know, as, exemplified in lady in the water where he plays a guy whose writings like save the universe or whatever but (laughs) (laughs) in this you can definitely tell like he's like i know what this movie is i know what i can do and here it is yeah exactly exactly um uh yeah it's also like one of the like uh last big mel gibson movies i can think of that like i mean before you know i mean well starring movies i mean really i mean I, i don't remember i mean can you think of anything else that he's done since? <laughs> I mean, because I know, obviously, because of reasons, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, he's, I mean, he's obviously a douchebag, so I don't want to, <laughs> I don't yeah. want to only say good things about him. But uh, yeah, like this might be his last starring role. He's directed some really, really, really good movies since then, but this might be like his last on screen thing that was like big. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, and he's really good in it. Actually, I mean, I have to, I have to give him credit. Like he's, he sells what he's doing in the movie. Um, though, of <laughs> course, that of course that might also be, also be part of the retroactive backlash against the movie too. I mean, because yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're very good. Yeah, they very well could be part of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and this role like really caters to like what he's 
good at as an artist like all of his movies have to do with like this like catholic guilt and and like the the weight of of your religion on your shoulders and that's that's totally what this movie and this role is about too so i yeah i feel like it's tailor-made for him yeah ironically though like i think he's playing i think he's playing like an episcopalian minister or pastor in this i'm not quite sure i I think yeah i think you're right i he's not he's for sure not catholic yeah 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 for sure um but definitely uh yeah, but definitely the religious theme uh, shines through. But yeah, it's just kind of funny. He's, um, <laughs> yeah, for being such a bad person to be, yeah, to, to like make that your life's work, uh, especially in like the later part of his career. Like, yeah, you well, know, Passion of the Christ was only two years later. What else can I say about Mel Gibson? <laughs> <At this point. laughs> I, I mean, I, we all know, we all know the kind of weird, uh, psychotic, bigot type person he is, but, uh, undeniably talented i know a lot of people say this like when it pops up to like a celebrity's problematic it's like oh i never even thought louis ck was funny you know who cares and like so like it's kind of cliche but like it's real painful that mel gibson's a shitty person because he's really talented he makes really good art (laughs) so it's like a real real bummer yeah like he's he's actually a very skilled director like i mean apocalypto is kind of an amazing action movie yeah yeah and it is yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in many years, but um, yeah, I remember being pretty impressed by it at the time. So that, there's definitely a few shadows over this movie, I guess. But I guess Shyamalan's bounced back a little bit. Like he's he's kind of back in the, like he's not he's not where he was, but um, he's definitely kind of like he's not in the doghouse anymore. I guess I don't know. Yeah. Hollywood jail or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the visit and split into a lesser extent glass like kind of kind of brought him back. People like those movies. I like those movies. I did like Split quite a bit. <laughs> I haven't seen Old yet, but I hear it's strange. Yeah, my mom was really really enamored with it for some reason. She was like, "You got to see Old." I'm like, okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll, I still haven't seen it, so I have no idea. So anyway, back to signs. Uh, so. I guess we both have a long history with this movie. Um, like, what, what's the favorite thing about the movie? Because, I mean, we could go over the plot, and we could probably go over that a little bit, but I think most people who are probably listening to this have seen it, I imagine. Yeah, it's on something right now. Netflix, maybe? It's out there if you haven't seen it. Um, but I, well, when I saw, when I first saw this movie, I was in, like, a, a deep funk in life. Like my Like, things were going horrible, and I was like, and like comically bad, like things were just like happening. And then like, they would happen again, like, you know, just like bad relationship stuff. I mean, I was like 22 at the time. So like that kind of stuff, the growing up and, you know, like your friends are growing apart and you're doing weird stuff with relationships. So I thought that the only reasonable explanation for like why like my life was so like terrible and crazy was that there was some sort of great magnet at work and that it must be fate. Because that was like the only explanation for why things could be so comically stupid. <laughs> I've had years <laughs> like that myself. <laughs> and I mean, you kind of grow up and you realize, oh, you know, if you're like a a troubled person, you just kind of like seek these cycles in life. So I, I, I kind of understood that after a while. But like at the time I was firmly, fate exists and it exists only to be comical and terrible. And at the height of that, I saw this movie. And so that's, at the time, like that was like the part I responded to, like the fact that like there's no coincidences in life, everything leads you up to one point. 
Um, and like the talk that Mel Gibson and uh, Joaquin Phoenix have where they're discussing that yeah. and uh, is like super brilliant. Um, and I was just like, holy shit, like this is everything I've wanted to say about the last two years or whatever it is uh, in one scene. Um, so that's really what, what kind of made me respond to this movie um, at the time. And then also, I mean, it's just like this super scary alien movie. And that's kind of why I like it more now. Um, yeah. Now that I, I don't believe in a great magnet, but um, so, yeah. So, I, I mean, just like all, like all the pieces at work, like it's horror, it's sci-fi. It's this like great touching tale about a guy who kind of re- who reconnects with his humanity. It's all this stuff about fate and destiny. And, and I don't know, it's just like so many different things and, and all of them work well, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I was, I was, yeah, I was noticing like how like well integrated like all those like elements are in the movie. Like it's a very economical, very efficient, very polished script. Like it doesn't really waste any moments or anything. It's not too long. It doesn't, it doesn't belabor any of the points. Like it, you know, it's 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 real. I mean, it's like as as goofy as the ending is, it does. It really, it's not unearned. You know, which is like what really makes it work for me, even though it's like, yeah, you could call it silly, but within the terms of what the movie is setting, you know, it's it 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 really fills out uh, its promise, I think. Yeah, and, and, well, and it does that well because I mean, like I said earlier, it's it's a revelation at the end, not a twist. Like if you were just watching like this movie about the like where it's like a drama the whole time about this guy trying to keep his family together and then all of a sudden in the last 10 minutes there was an alien this would be the worst movie of all time <laughs> i don't know that would be kind of funny though like like, <laughs> like like imagine like a movie like you know i don't know what was that what was that adam driver scarlett johansson movie where they're just arguing for the whole movie or whatever i something like well, that you, you just have that and then for like in like last 10 minutes all of a sudden aliens show up and it just becomes a completely different movie actually you do make a pretty good point because uh, one of my favorite movies ever in nowhere, a Greg Araki movie is like a dra- a teen drama for 90% of it. And then in the last 10 minutes, uh, there's an alien. So that actually would pretty, probably work pretty well. <laughs> oh my God. I have to... Yeah. Yeah. You know, that I've, I've, I've never really seen any Greg Araki movies. Like it's one of those directors I never got around to. I need really need to just, just to just, just for completion's sake, just. <laughs> like... He's good. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the, I mean, I you know, grew up in the area. He was like his big area, like the '90s and stuff. So, like, I mean, I knew a lot of people were really into his movies, but I never really watched them myself. But yeah, he also did a movie called, I believe, uh, Mysterious Skin, which is based on a novel, which is partially about this kid who was like molested and thinks he was abducted by aliens or something. It's really dark as fuck, but it's tangentially alien related, also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the only one of his I haven't seen. And it's also probably the best from what I hear. So, yeah, I've messed up. Yeah, I feel like I missed out <laughs> a lot too. Uh, a lot of things. I don't know. It's been hard to catch up with movies. I, I don't. I don't have the attention span I used to. So, um, but uh, but signs is uh, you know I I really like the quiet in this movie too. That was like one thing I really really appreciated. Like so many movies now. I mean, it's like a cliche complaint, but. Like this movie really does effectively use quiet very well. Like yeah, absolutely. And it, um, I mean, it came in right before like the found footage and stuff. And I feel like there would be so many, if this was made like three years later, there'd be so many points where like they'd use a big jump scare 
noise to get you. Like yeah. a lot of the times when you see like the aliens and stuff, especially towards the beginning of this movie, it's just Mel Gibson looks out the window and there's a shape and like, yeah. there might be like a little musical sting, but it's not, you know, pots and pans clanging the way, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, horror is now. And yeah, it's, you know, and then like the, the part in the cornfield, I don't think that there's music in that scene where he's scared and running through the cornfield. I might be wrong, but I believe there, I have watched having rewatched it uh, two hours ago. Um, I believe there's a little bit of music that comes in um, towards the end, but yeah, it's mostly quiet. He's just like, chasing this thing through the corn you never see it you barely ever see it except for like a little leg and then you hear like clicky alien noise it's like oh it's it's really creepy as hell yeah it's really effective um Mm -hmm. those clicky alien noises i feel like have been copied endlessly since this movie too oh yeah completely also i'm not sure is this i mean this is not the first movie with reptilian type aliens but like (laughs) it definitely is like uh like a lizard man alien type uh i guess is the I mean, as far as that's the only type of alien we see here. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I, I never really thought of that. Like, cause I mean like they're green mostly. So I, you know, like I just kind of have equated them with the little green men, but like bigger clearly, yeah. but yeah, like they, yeah, they are scaly and like they do change color and stuff. So yeah, they are, they are definitely reptilian style aliens. You know, cause you know, that's a big thing in UFO and alien mythology and conspiracy lore is reptilians and stuff. So like, I mean, I I don't know. I don't really know how much uh, M. Night Shyamalan was actually looking into that stuff. I think he really just used what he could for what the story he wanted to tell. But um, I don't know. It's like, it's basically, it's like, okay, if you want to do an alien, if you don't want it to look like goofy, you want it to look scary. I mean, there's like basically two main choices you really have. Make it look reptilian or insectoid or a little bit of both. But yeah, I think that this and V are probably like the best reptilian aliens. Oh, man. V. I need that's something I need to watch for this podcast too. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I haven't we, we watched the movie version, the original TV movie for Junk Food Dinner a long time ago, but I haven't returned to that the original show, but the remake that they did like 10 years ago I thought was really good, but it got canceled pretty quick sadly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember I was like really hyped up about it at the time because I was like, "Ooh, they're going to do just like what they did with Battlestar Galactica and everything." And it wasn't quite as like that but it was pretty interesting i but i never finished it yeah um but uh yeah so i guess do you want to go over the plot a little bit or (laughs) yeah this is one of the movies i've probably seen most in my life so it's kind of hard to talk about because it's like i just like i feel like everybody knows it as well as i do and they probably don't but yeah so um as far as the plot we've got uh mel gibson whose character his name is Graham Hess and his family, which consists of his son, Rory Culkin, yep. who is not very good at acting yet, although I feel like he would he would be eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot he played Neuronymous in the in the Black Lords of Kados movie or whatever, the Black Metal movie. Oh, uh, yeah. I haven't seen that, but I've heard, I've heard good things. It's, uh, it's pretty entertaining. Um, definitely... The production design looks really authentic. Like they look like they replicated all the settings and all the the the, the eight, you know late eighties early nineties vibes of it. And then the pube stashes are um a hundred percent look authentic looking. They really got that you know the young <laughs> the young metalhead pube stash thing going on for sure. <laughs> well, that's the most important part. I'm glad they got that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they hired a consultant or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. There's like some guy with like a really nice pube stash, like t- 
to supervise. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and then Abigail Breslin is his daughter. Yes. And she's great in this. Yeah, she's 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 adorable in this, but and she's uh she's actually really like kind of like a source of a lot of humor in the movie. Um, she's she's like, how old was she when she made this? Like five? She's really really young. That's a good question. Yeah, it's probably about about that. Let's see. She was born in '96, and this was 2002. So probably, yeah, probably five when they filmed it. Yeah. Because I think it was, I think it was filmed like during September 11th. Like, like September 11th happened during this. 9/11. I mean, yeah. not, not not. I mean, you know, September 11th happens every year, but you know, you know. <laughs> that, yeah, the, yeah, the one everyone thinks about. Um, yeah, which is wild because this, in some ways, feels like a reaction to 9/11. So it's it's weird that it was already in motion. Well, I think a lot of a lot of like art and movies and stuff got kind of roped into that because it just happened to come out. But I don't know. Maybe there was something in the the zeitgeist. <laughs> well, Shyamalan, he he knows he's going to save the world with his writing, so maybe yeah. he knew about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> so he's he's got to be picking up these 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 vibes, these these signs, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and and of course we have Joaquin Phoenix as his younger brother, Merrill, <laughs> um, who is kind of like a. I don't know. I mean, living living in a uh, above in a shed or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's one of the great things about this movie. I think is like that it doesn't spell out a ton. Like, you get the family unit, but I mean, you know, um, Mel Gibson's wife died six months before this movie. Yeah, and we're told that Joaquin Phoenix's baseball career has ended recently. So you get the idea that maybe he he retired from baseball to help out with the family, but he's also like, things are a little bit dysfunctional with the family and he's like looking for a way out. And so like, he's trying to join the army, but there's no big conversation where like him and Mel Gibson have it out. Where like Mel Gibson's like, why are you trying to join the army? We need you. And he's like, Oh, it's just what I got to do. It's like, it's all told with like him reading pamphlets and like going, you know, it's It's, actual, actual visual storytelling. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's it's really novel, and <laughs> yeah, and and like I think in my Shyamalan, it just has a natural. Well, I don't know his more recent movies are a lot more stilted, but like I don't know, there's just like, he he's just really firing on all cylinders with this one, and it just feels very lived in and natural, and the family feels very convincing. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's a scene near the end where um, Rory Culkin says to. Joaquin Phoenix that you know he wishes that he was his dad rather than his uncle and it's like it's like really heartbreaking but it also tells you like kind of what the family dynamic is now that the mom is gone it's like just everybody's drifting apart it like looms over like the whole the whole family not unlike a looming spaceship over all of the major cities of the world you know basically Mel Gibson wakes up there's a crop sign in the in the a a big glyph or symbol in the cornfield and uh, you know, of course, they're like, "Who? You know, who did this?" And is it the Lionel Pritchard and the Wolfington brothers? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're like this constant boogeyman throughout the movie. <laughs> it's the first half of the movie before the alien stuff really kicks in. Yeah, they may be the best red herring in all of cinema. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Lionel, I think Lionel is in the movie. Like, it, when he's <laughs> signing up in the, uh, he's signing up in, um, when he's, when they go, the scene where they go to town and, and Meryl is, uh, look at the recruiting place. Um, by the way, that's a really weird ass recruiter. Like, no wonder they fucking put him in that job. Like, no one in the army liked him at all, I guess. <laughs> I love that recruiter. He is so strange. His line delivery is so weird. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, I, I like it for the movie, but I just mean, like, <laughs> in real life. Knowing that, I, I, mean, I don't know, like, no, my, my dad was in the army, so, like, I I knew a lot of army people. So, like, it just, that makes sense. They would put that guy as, as that role. <laughs> just to get rid of him. Get off the base. Get out of yeah. here. Yeah, just get us some new recruits or whatever <laughs> but you know he turns out to be right though like the, that's mm-hmm. the funny, that's the funny part the his, his assessment of what's going on you know yeah 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 he calls it that they're they're bringing down scouts to assess the the situation on earth and to see how dangerous it is yeah and um and, and so like the scene where they go into the the um uh, there's also that but there's like the bookstore right like um <laughs> And uh, this book, there's this book that Rory Culkin's character finds, or, or and at the bookstore, and he buys from the bookstore, and it's like this book has all somehow miraculously has all the knowledge that he needs to understand what's going on, or something like that. And it's like they uh, again, there's that so there's uh, the thing about fate and stuff like uh, and coincidence, and like uh, like the lady at the bookstore says, uh, um. Oh yeah, yeah. That just came in a shipment by mistake, you know. Or I just kept it for the city folk or whatever. Um, but I guess, uh, yeah. It, it, so it's like everything in the movie is just kind of like lined up as like another little cog of the machinery moving around. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. It's definitely that. Like that they have accidentally have this this one UFO book um, that happens to have the scariest foreshadowing or possible foreshadowing in that. There's a farmhouse that's on fire with a family of three dead in the yard that yeah. freaks them all out. <laughs> and it looks exactly like they're... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's pretty unfortunate that that was the one book they had. And then and then it's also funny that like that book doesn't have... I mean, it also throws out a bunch of red herrings in that, you know, they mentioned that, you know, it would be like a war between the aliens and Earth, which doesn't necessarily happen that way. And, and like that it would be over resources, the resource of earth, which isn't how it happens. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it's interesting the way it, it throws out like a lot of kind of traditional alien tropes, I guess. And then it kind of does its own thing at the end where it's kind of a, a Mars needs women situation where they're just coming to, to kidnap people and then take back off, which I think is like, much scarier than an all-out war with aliens like yeah if you woke up and like 10 percent of people were gone and just stolen by aliens that would be horrifying uh, yeah and also like these aliens they have like these little gas things coming out of their wrists or whatever mm-hmm. they, they really don't elaborate too much what happens off in the, in the wider world outside the story which is cool like which feels real and makes it kind of like very self-contained in a very uh, interesting way. Um, yeah, it's very Night of the Living Dead. We're like, you know this is happening everywhere on Earth, but we're following this family and we're sticking with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's and uh, apparently the, the, the house did not exist previously. It was built on like a agricultural college's cornfield. 
and they actually just <laughs> built this set on there. That's yeah. I, I would not have expected that because it feels like a very Midwesty home, like rural home. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, it, the movie apparently cost I think seventy-two million dollars, which is not as. I mean, but then again, it was like you know Mel Gibson starring, and you know pro- that's probably half the budget there. Yeah, I would imagine half the budget goes to Mel Gibson and M Night Shyamalan's fees, and then I mean, it, and then also I mean they're they're not great now, but for two thousand and two, like for what we see of the aliens, like that was probably like tippy top of the line CG for the time. Oh yeah. It was ILM doing it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Thankfully it's kept to a minimum because I don't know if like, if they had shown a ton of the aliens, it would have worked as much. Cause I mean, <laughs> they're, they're pretty creepy looking, but like, you know, I don't think it would. Yeah. It just wouldn't work. Like if like the aliens were out all in the open, the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, a- absolutely. And like, it's like, that's where his like Spielberg love comes yeah. into play like even at the very end when you get the reveal of the alien like he's still backlit and in shadows yeah. and you know you, you really don't even see him then you, when you get the big reveal so yeah it's it, it makes it you know much much creepier yeah also no spaceships except for except for the the video shots of like ufos hovering over mexico city or whatever but it's like the most minimal you know um thing possible which is it just it's just really cool i don't know it just really feels that that part felt really real um like and also of course you know the the probably hands down like the best little scare moment in the entire movie is the the birthday party video that birthday party video is so so scary yeah (laughs) like it's and and, i mean probably a little bit of a well I, i was gonna say a precursor to found footage itself but uh, Blair Witch had already happened and stuff, so maybe not. But yeah. it's probably one of the more effective uses of found footage and like handheld sort of stuff. Like, I mean, it, the way that you know, I mean, it, it looks like a real video from a real birthday party. Yeah, uh, and then all of a sudden, there's just this scary ass alien walking through. When when um, Joaquin Phoenix freezes the video, it's it's like frozen in that kind of like Bigfoot pose. It's just really really effective. That is like. A good comparison is that it's in the Bigfoot pose, which I think is what M. Night Shyamalan wants to do with this is like show that these aliens are kind of just animals, which is one thing that I think disappoints people about this movie is where you, and one thing that the movie points out is like, we're used to these very high tech aliens are coming in. They got technology that's way better than ours. And, but you know, you get the impression that these, these aliens are kind of just like, you know, bugs or lizards going from maybe, world to world. Yeah, I mean, they're very animalistic, and like maybe they don't, like the reason why they can't open doors is because they don't have any need for doors. You know, we know next to nothing about these aliens, so you can like fill in anything you want about like what they are, or like if they're the only kind of alien. Like you know, are they like just like some kind of like you know shock troops that were deployed by another force of aliens or something? You know, or mm-hmm. it's like there's all kinds of like things you could imagine. It's like suggestive rather than you know, trying to like say, Oh, this is how all the aliens are going. You know, (laughs) this is how, this is, this is what it is. And here's every single aspect of the alien, uh, you know, hierarchy. And we're going to get to know these aliens personally. (laughs) And one of them's going to be a good guy that helps. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, and, you know, the fact that they can be invisible via their camouflage and so can their spaceships. Like I always took it as like, they're, They've got like these, you know, 
biomechanical type of like colonies that they fly around in. They're like they're not like real spaceships the way that we think about them normally, you know, flying saucers and whatnot. They're like like have you ever seen the show Lex? I've never seen the show. I've heard about it though, yeah. Yeah, it's like this either British or like Australian um sci-fi show from like the nineties and this group of hoodlums and misfits like steal a spaceship, but it's actually like a living dragonfly thing that's like alive but it's also their spaceship and yeah and that's kind of how i feel about what these guys are riding around in like it's probably just like bigger versions of living life forms but which is why they can't open doors yeah (laughs) you know they come to a planet with like what 70 percent surface is water and they're like trying to invade and like oh well, i guess we <laughs> it's just like a dumb virus trying to invade a thing it can't infect or something and then it's like oh okay i guess we'll go <laughs> yeah <laughs> do, they do display some intelligence at least like you know they're they're not like completely animalistic but they're definitely not like yeah that like they're 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 not yeah, we're not we're not seeing tech here, you know. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely smart, but yeah, they're not like I don't think that they're techie smart. Although, I mean, I guess they do have like in like maybe walkie-talkies because they get picked up on the baby monitor. So maybe they have something or maybe I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe it could be anything. I mean, that's, that's what I like <laughs> about it, you know. Yeah, but yeah, but they are smart. Like they outsmart um you know, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix by escaping them multiple times throughout the movie when they're you know and like they're they're obviously they can plan because you know when the one gets uh trapped in ray reddy's house played by m night Shyamalan, um earlier that day we see that one has been inside the the hess house so like they're, they're planning things out and they're on like some sort of i guess a time timeline together a time schedule that they're all doing things coordinatedly so they are smart yeah yeah and um and uh yeah i mean i mean all well yeah also i believe if i remember correctly the alien at the end the climax of the movie is um the same alien that mel gibson chopped the fingers off of yes yeah, so it, like it recognizes him and is kind of like it. There's definitely kind of like a revenge thing there. It feels like, and also it's just told visually. Like there's no like, oh, it's it's that guy, you know? Yeah, Mel Gibson doesn't look at him and say like, I know you or anything like that. Yeah, <laughs> and also I, I really like that scene because it's uh, kind of a, a cool metaphor for like the fact that like Mel Gibson like he's very scared and doesn't want to confront the idea of there being the the alien you know trapped in the pantry and like he kind of confronts it in like a haphazard way and then just runs away and ignores it and then now here it is you know confronting him it's come back around and i feel like that kind of ties into a lot of the themes of of kind of running away from your problems and and stuff that this movie has which i i think uh works well at the end with this and ties into the aliens and stuff yeah yeah exactly um, I mean, like the whole ba- baseball thing, like, you know, like every, it's like every little thing plays a part at the end. <laughs> mm-hmm. That might be a bit too much for some people, I think, you know, but that's, but at the same time, it is about that. It's like, you kind of either go with that premise or you don't, I guess. Yeah, very much so. And, and then also the water people don't like. So I, I guess we got to talk about the water 
Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, the water is like... Okay, well, I, I think what, what Shyamalan was trying to do with the water... So, w- what we're talking about here is, of course, the aliens at the end of the movie are defeated with water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, understandably, a lot of people are, like, uh, groaning at that because literally Earth is a fucking planet covered in water. There's water in the air, you know, there's water in, in pretty much every, all the organisms are water and carbon based, you know, everything has water in it. And like, it's just hilarious that these aliens would come and be like, Oh, Oh shit. That's the one thing that we don't like. (laughs) Yeah. But, (laughs) but I know what Shyamalan was trying to do here. He's trying to basically do a riff on war of the worlds. Mm-hmm. So, you know, where like the aliens are defeated by germs, you know, because they weren't they did they didn't prepare themselves, realizing that they would be defeated by the you know natural bacteria of the planet. You know, they were just it was kind of like a metaphor for colonial arrogance, I guess, at the time. And I, I don't think Shyamalan was thinking like that, but he was definitely like saying, you know, it was definitely a riff on that kind of thing. And you know, yeah, I guess it's goofy if you think too hard about it, but. I mean, who knows? I mean, we don't. Again, we know next to nothing about these aliens. It's fine as far as what the movie's doing, as far as I'm concerned. That's yeah, how, that's how I. That's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, yes, objectively, it is silly, but I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> what? If, yeah, like, what? <laughs> yeah, if you're thinking about it in real world terms, I mean, if, if you accept that these aliens are sort of animals, you know, just kind of plaguish bugs going from one planet to the next kidnapping people yeah and the fact that they haven't analyzed water i think is fine (laughs) um but um and then also i mean it's just like as Shyamalan does like in lady in the water yeah Shyamalan has this wonderful petty self-centered scene that i love as a person (laughs) who's petty and self-centered i i just love it (laughs) Where in that movie, there one of the members of the cast is um, like the snooty film critic, Bob Balaban. Yeah, 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 Bob Balaban. And uh, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, but like he's he's just talking about how like in that movie, there's like a water nymph that shows up at this apartment building, and Paul Giamatti has to get it back into the water. And Bob Balaban's talking about how stupid of an idea it is, and it'll never work because nobody's creative anymore. Blah 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 blah. I'm being a snooty film guy. Yeah. And then so I think it's Paul Giamatti explains to him that um, the water's not really water; it's a metaphor for purity, and so, some other stuff involved too. It's like a big long diatribe, and it's just M Night Shyamalan like re- reacting to the critics of this movie because <laughs> yeah, probably like, it's so beautiful and petty. I love it. But I mean, that's really what it is. It's like this whole movie is an allegory. So to start taking things literally here at the end is, is kind of missing the point. Like the, the water is a metaphor for purity. Also, this is the house of a, a priest who is also a farmer. So of course he blesses his well. So it's probably holy water. But, um, but yeah, it's just like a, a metaphor for cleansing and purity and all the things that water is always a metaphor for. So of course it would get rid of these aliens who are metaphorical demons like that's yeah. the the whole movie right there um, yeah exactly yeah and like um i also i, I really liked how like what's her uh name abigail the the dot bow bow i believe the daughter's name in the movie. Mm-hmm. yeah um the abigail breslin character she's um 
she has like this thing about water. Like so, she has like this. She throughout the movie, she's like she has like this little nerve, this tick about water. She thinks there's germs in the water, there's dust in the water. So she leaves all these water glasses around, and uh, <laughs> which becomes the water that defeats the alien at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that I was like thinking, you know, that would be fucking awesome if all my weird neurotic shit I did turned out to be for a reason, you know? <laughs> all my annoying habits. Aha, I'm having the last laugh now, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's also kind of part of the movie where like it's all these like kind of like unique. I mean, some of them are eccentricities and some of them are just like medical conditions. But like, you know, the fact that Meryl is the strikeout leader in minor league baseball because he could not, not swing. Um, Bo leaving the water everywhere. Um, Rory Calkins asthma um, and Mel Gibson's, you know, no longer believing in God, like all of these things that are like kind of quirks and eccentricities and maybe create a rift in the family are all the things that end up saving them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, exactly. And um, yeah. And, it's like it all comes together in that one moment at the end, and like that's just really—I don't know—it it, it works in the, it, within the context <laughs> of the movie. Yeah. Um, also, there's a fan theory about this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> where people <laughs> that like I'm not usually into fan theories, but this one um, I think works to to kind of qu- to hopefully quiet like the water people, like the water detractors, because like the theory is that the aliens are not actually aliens; they're literal demons. And so that's why water kills them. It's holy water all over the world. They're like very clearly metaphorical demons, but if you want to make them literal demons to explain away what might be like a kind of dumb plot contrivance, then cool. Like it's settled. They're just demons then. Fine. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we were already invoking, you know, metaphysical higher powers and supernatural stuff. So like might as well. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) I'm fine with it. If it if it explains away that for people, then fine. They can be demons for you. Maybe it's because just because I'm older and more sentimental, I guess. But there's a lot of things that are like surprisingly effective for me. Like the the part where like he's talking to his wife, you know, and like her, you know, her, you know, her dying words, and she's like talking about all these things, and it just and he's of course he of course for a long time he thinks that it's uh, just her, you know, the dying nerve neurons just firing and saying random shit but uh uh something's like i don't know just like very moving about her final words being the thing that helps them it's very i don't know it's just it's very sentimental in a sentimental way very touching i don't know yeah yeah i absolutely love that that whole scene um is real heartbreaking um, really grisly like uh, I mean they don't show obviously what happened to her specifically but like they say she's like literally pinned to this fucking tree by this it's like oh man that's awful <laughs> yeah what a way to go <laughs> yeah and it's such a like heartbreaking I mean I, I want I was gonna say metaphor but I mean it's like literal in the movie I guess but it's like they they let Mel Gibson know that once they unpin her once they move the truck that's pinning her up against the tree then she'll be dead so it's like do you stay there and talk to her to get more time? Do you just do it quick? Like it's such a like heartbreaking thing to think about. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the roughest thing imaginable. Just imagine like you were like, yeah, you got like five, you got like less than five minutes with your wife left. Go talk to her. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then also heartbreaking is um, she's hit by a drunk driver who turns out to be this guy, Ray Reddy, who's a, a veterinarian in town played by M. Night Shyamalan. He's the guy who traps the alien in the pantry. And was this his first like self-insert role thing? Like, I mean, I know he did it. I think he did a cameo in Sixth Sense. I don't know if he did anything in Unbreakable or not. I I think he's in it for a second. I think he's Mel Gibson's boss or not Mel Gibson. Um, Bruce Willis's boss, maybe in that movie. Yeah. Okay. But this is the first big one. And then, and then, yeah. And lady in the water, it gets a lot bigger. And then I think, I think maybe he stepped back, but lady in the water was like a very big role for some reason. And then I think he'd started dialing it back after that. Uh, do you um, remember at the time he did the village through he made like some kind of like pseudo documentary or something of I th- yeah, I think so. He made like a like the tie in with it. I don't know. Yeah, it was like the secrets of of M. Night Shyamalan. What is his spooky origin story? And it was like, yeah, like supposed to be like a real thing about him, I think. Or like a but it was fake. I mean I mean I assume. I, I don't think I ever saw it, but yeah, it was like sort of it was supposed to be like a Blair Witch sort of a deal. Yeah, 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 for sure. Uh, it was just I just remember that vaguely at the time. I don't know. There, there was like, there was like, so I remember there was like some kind of like uh, controversy about him. I don't know if it was around the village or like after the village, but like he started. Yeah, I, I don't know. He fell out with like his producers or something like that. So like, there's like a lot of behind the scenes drama as well as like people getting just sick of him and stuff. So I don't know. It was like it was just like I don't know. It's just like one of those people who's like burned really bright, then kind of faded. But you know, he he managed to hang in there. I'll give him credit. You know, he's yeah, still, still making movies. Yeah, I mean, he yeah, he after a bunch of failures, he reinvented himself with you know sort of like independent horror movies and. Oh yeah, yeah. What was that one? The old old people one. The, uh, the visitors. The visitors. I think that's what it's called. Yeah, that I like that movie. It's it's or the visit. The visit. Visit, yeah, yeah. I saw that in the theater. That was like a good theater. That's a good like go see on a Friday night with a crowd type movie, you know. Yeah, but still, like none of them I think really match like the emotional power of this or the Sixth Sense or Unbreakable. Like those, that's a it's a really it's a pretty good trilogy of movies, like to have like as a career highlight. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for those to be, I mean, well, he made like some weird comedy movie, like in the nineties or something that doesn't count. I don't think in his discography, but like for those to be like your first three real movies, I think is, I mean, it's no wonder that people were saying, oh yeah, this guy's the next Spielberg and stuff. And I mean, you know, when you have that much success that quickly, I'm sure it goes to your head and I'm sure he must've been some kind of monster behind the scenes. The directing field. I mean, obviously it, it tracks narcissistic type people just to begin with <laughs> yeah yeah i don't think anybody could like be stay humble after that i mean I, I did want to mention the scene where mel gibson goes to ray reddy's house and it's the first time they've seen each other since the night where he ray killed his wife and he asks for forgiveness and the the look on mel gibson's face as he's deciding whether or not to forgive this guy yeah it is it's it's one of, it's a scene that makes me sad that Mel Gibson is a horrible person because it's so good like like he leaves without saying a word he doesn't go you know oh of course I forgive you or anything like this like it's just all on his face like him thinking do I forgive this guy no I can't but I have to um, 
you know, to move on, but I, but he's a piece of shit. I don't want to like, it's just all there. Like all the pain and grief of the last six months is all on his face. And it's a really remarkable scene, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Mel Gibson is just really good in it. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's so sad that he is such a piece of shit, but like, <laughs> it's just sad, but, he, but you know, but he's, he's good. He's really good in this. And like, it's like, I don't even think of him as Mel Gibson in that. Like, that's how good he is in it. Like I think of him as, I think of him as a preacher guy. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I like, I, I see it. I don't think of it as Mel Gibson. Yeah, he seems like just like a you know a, a normal Midwest dad. <laughs> like, yeah, he doesn't yeah. seem like any sort of uh, larger than life celebrity who's known for being a horrible bigot or anything like that in those moments. So that's that's how you can tell you're a good actor. Yeah, yeah. If you can like convincingly look like you can have humility in your heart when you have none in real life. You... <laughs> exactly. You know, it's 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 kind of incredible. Um, Walking Phoenix is—he's all right in this. I mean, he's—he's he's just Walking Phoenix. That period of Walking Phoenix, you know, quite—it wasn't quite—he wasn't quite what he is now, like the method actor guy. You know, he's just kind of—he was just kind of like the younger kid from younger, younger Phoenix who just—I don't know. He was what was his biggest role? At, was it Gladiator? I guess was a couple of years before was that? Was- yeah, I think Gladiator was before this. Um, Two thousand, I think. Yeah. Oh, and two years before. Yeah, this movie's 20 years old. Yeah, yeah, that it is. Dang. That is wild. So yeah, so we're accidentally doing this for the 20th anniversary. So that, yeah. that works. <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, I think he's as good as he need or as he can be in this. Like, it's not much of a role. Like, the role is basically just like kind of comic relief sort of for a lot of it. So yeah, there, you know, I, I think he's as good as he needs to be. Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention the scene where he is in the recruiting um, station or whatever, the recruiting office, mm-hmm. and the other guy filling out a rec- filling out a form is Li- Lionel. The one of the like he says Lionel, like the guy who's like interjecting to uh, about his career. It's like, oh yeah, he was a strikeout king or whatever. But like uh, the guy, the guy saying that—that's Michael Showalter of Stella fame. <laughs> I yeah, realize. I didn't realize <laughs> I didn't realize that until I saw that today. Yeah, it, yeah, I was I was stoked when this movie came out because I was a big fan of the state and yeah, yeah it, it was wild to see one of those guys pop up in a really big movie and then also in a dramatic role. Again, you get uh, like he just says Lionel. And you go, oh, you get the entirely what the relationship is, like what the kind of guy he is, and like how they, you know, like the small town dynamics. So you just, it's just a lot that's just said with very little in the movie, which is just, again, such a lost art. <laughs> yeah. And I think, it, yeah, it's something that this director, I mean, and he writes all of his stuff. It's something that he's really good at. And it's something that, you know, is passed down from Spielberg. Spielberg does that too. Yeah. 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 It's, it's it's that making everything just lived in without doing you know have to have everybody explain the, the backstory in like some monologue or something yeah if this movie came out today with like a different writer and director then there'd be like a 10 minute scene where they explain the walking phoenix he used to hang out with lionel pritchard and the wolfington brothers but then he's he couldn't hang out with them anymore because of his baseball career tore him away and and so now they're kind of at odds because they used to be friends but they think that he abandon them and you know like they would just go on endlessly to explain 
you know, the same thing we get with a, a glance in this movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's just like, I mean, it goes from the aliens down to the people, you know, it just, it's all implied. Mm-hmm. It's just such a lost art. They just, they just don't do it like that anymore, which is really sad. Cause like, yeah. that's, that's, that's the best way to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Especially for, for movies. I mean, I guess in a show you can afford to do that a little bit more, but like, for definitely for movies, like, it's like uh, this movie is not super long either. It's like, I mean, it's normal length, but like it's just 106 minutes, which is pretty economical by today's standards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially like, you know, I mean, this was like a big blockbuster at the time. I mean, I feel like there's like a law saying that blockbuster movies have to at least be two hours and 15 minutes now, which yeah, at least yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the very least, <laughs> which uh, yeah, it doesn't help anything. Yeah, exactly. Batman, I'm looking at you. Yeah, seriously. Like, how? Why is that movie th- almost three hours? I liked it all right, but like, it was definitely like a half hour too long. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. Like they get they get lost in the weeds in that movie. Doesn't need to be three hours. Yeah, and and like, it's, yeah. I mean, it's like there's no like most of these most superhero movies like definitely like. Any movie with like a transformer in it or something does not have any le- like moral right to be any more than two hours long. I mean, it, sorry, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, but like yeah, exactly. This movie just it gets it does it gets in and does its point. It does it very economically. I I really admire it. I mean, it's just one of those movies like I always admired it for that reason. And like the scares are good. I don't know. I I really I really like it still. And I, I, um, I think we've covered enough with this. We've talked a lot about like the, the themes and stuff of this movie. But I think if you want to, if you want to go into this movie and ignore all that stuff, that's your prerogative. And I think it still works as a scary alien movie. Like, you know, all the like shots of like little claws coming in through like, yeah, you know, like the the um the air shaft downstairs, the coal shaft or whatever it is, and like yeah, the, oh yeah, I forgot yeah, because like they change their skin changes colors, like the scene where it grabs Rory Culkin from like the coal shaft or whatever, and it's like kind of like blended in with the <laughs> with the uh, the the metal a little bit. Yeah, it's really really good. Like because you just see him standing there, yeah. and like you, you know you know that like the aliens are trying to find that shaft to get in, but we don't know if they're there yet. And then all of a sudden his arm just that you've been looking at for 10 seconds just moves and it's the scariest thing yeah it's very effective also just like the scenes where like you see just little glimpses like the leg in the cornfield or like that little shape on top of the roof there by the way the that scene in the version i saw that that like unfinished version had it was just like it was just literally a guy in a blue suit (laughs) yeah i would love to see that version yeah, yeah. I don't I don't I mean I don't I don't think I still have it. I know I probably threw it away, but like uh yeah. I I mean, I've never heard anything about it leaking on the internet though. Like I've never heard anything else about that. Like it but like literally I, like 2 months before it came out, I saw it. <laughs> it was just yeah. so weird. it was so weird. And I was just I guess it was just a weird time, you know, with the internet with the internet and everything where it's just nobody had really thought about that yet in Hollywood, you know? So it was probably easy to just like, you know, upload it from whatever, like, you know, editing station they had or something, whoever leaked it. Yeah. Yeah. That's like, I wonder what the like incentive is to leak. I'm like, why would you want to do that? But then again, maybe somebody had a grudge against Shyamalan. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. 
I would imagine, yeah, that's the only reason. Because like you couldn't really like sell it on the bootleg market because the movie was coming out soon. And then also, who wants to pay to watch a movie where like the the aliens are just dudes in blue suits? Yeah. Well, it was weird because like like half of the effects were done. Like like the scene at the, the climactic scene was all done and everything. But like there's like a few shots that were just completely unfinished. Like that the very last shot, you know, where like we see he's back being. Uh, a pastor it's just completely silent (laughs) it was very weird but then you know you realize i was like okay they'll probably add that in and they did it was just an interesting glimpse into like the process i guess of these movies i mean the only comparable thing i can think about because i remember that the first wolverine movie that came out like oh yeah like like a vert like a version of that without like all the cg claws and stuff came out and everything it was like people were making fun of that and stuff yeah well, that version's probably preferable to the real version because the CG in that movie was really like oh, <laughs> Roger Rabbit esque. Yeah, that movie is pretty, pretty, pretty brutal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I think I've said pretty much everything I need to say about the movie. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think we've we've explained that this movie is a an, a misunderstood masterpiece. Yeah, I'm 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 not afraid to say it. I mean, I think I think uh, I mean. Roger Ebert kind of had a really good review of it. I remember he he was like a very like hold on let me let me find that review real quick because like it had a really good paragraph about it. Um, I I usually hate Roger Ebert, so if if he's if he likes this movie as much as we do, then maybe I've been wrong about him. Yeah, um, he he did say that Home Home Alone three was the best Home Alone movie, which is unforgivable. And sometimes, like with a sequel, he would overcorrect for his mis uh, for underrating the first one. <laughs> he, he did that a few times. Mm-hmm. And also, he was very impressed by special effects. I remember that. Like he gave like Spawn like three and a half stars. <laughs> that movie is brutal. Like it's nearly unwatchable. Like I mean, yeah, I just I just watched that movie recently because I'm a, a ma- masochist. Is that the right one? Um, but, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Signs, come on. Where is it? Sorry. This this site sucks. RogerEbert.com, get your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, M. Night Shyamalan's Signs is the work of a born filmmaker able to summon apprehension out of thin air. When it is over, we think not how little has been decided, but how much has been experienced. Here is a movie with which the plot is the rhythm section, not the melody. A movie that stays free of labored explanations and a forced climax, and is about fear in the wind, in the trees, in a dog's bark, and a little girl's reluctance to drink the water. At the end of the film, I had to smile, recognizing how Shyamalan has essentially ditched a payoff. He knows, as well as we all sense, that payoffs have grown boring. The mechanical resolution of the movie's problems is something we sit through at the end, but it's the setup and the build-up that keeps our attention. Signs is all build up. It's still building when it's over, which, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that specifically, but I, I get the vibe he's talking about. Like, the movie never thoroughly like blows its wad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We never get like a scene where like there's thirty aliens running amok downtown and tearing people apart and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, the stakes are always very small and personal. You know, yeah. Intimate. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, you, you know. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I, th- I think I get what he he means when he says that. You know, it's still building when it's over. I mean, we get that. Um, I mean, you know, it has a very like life goes on, and we continue to face our troubles. Sort of a an ending. It's very hopeful. Yeah, but yeah it's it's a very like kind of, you know, it, it 
when Mel Gibson puts like his pastor or priest, whatever the, the Episcopals call it, yeah. outfit on, you know, it feels like a beginning rather than an end, which I think is kind of what Roger Ebert's yeah. saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I mean, there's no pyrotechnics. It's really, it's, it's all just, you know, it comes down like the climax is literally <laughs> uh, the alien getting hit with a baseball bat <laughs> into it, <laughs> and falling into yeah. <laughs> glasses of water. <laughs> yeah, you know. I yeah, mean, but but it's you know, I mean, again, some people didn't like that, whatever. But I, you know, it worked for me. So yeah, and like the absolute confidence that Shyamalan has to walk into a major movie studio, talk to the executives and say, Hey, I need $120 million to make a movie where a guy hits an alien with a baseball bat like twice. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. I I wish I would, you know, I wish I had that confidence. Jesus Christ. I would get so much done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have baseball bat confidence. No. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's what i want um well uh parker uh thank you for coming on uh i had a really good time here um yeah thanks for having me this was a fun yeah and um also uh so you you of course are um one of the co-hosts of a long running very long running podcast uh <laughs> junk food dinner uh junk food dinner <laughs> and a few other podcasts as well on and off over the years Mm-hmm. Yeah, Junk Food Dinner, we just did our 12th anniversary episode this week. So we Sweet. Are, are deeply old people at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, still, everybody, I recommend you go out. It's a, it's a fun podcast. They, you know, they they have covered, you guys, God, what have you covered? You've covered almost everything at this point, haven't you? Well, there's a lot to cover. but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. at this point, I think that we do three movies a week in over 12 years. I think we've reviewed more movies than we haven't at this point. Yeah, we've done almost all of Hollywood's output. Yeah, and out outside of Hollywood too. Yeah, yeah, more. <laughs> I guess more outside of Hollywood. We talk about a lot of weirdo stuff. Yeah, no, it's a fun podcast. You know, go listen to it. You know, laugh along, get pissed off. You know, agree, <laughs> agree, disagree. You know, it's fun. It's a good. It's a good time. I recommend it to my listeners. Thanks. No problem. All right, and you of course are welcome back anytime. Um, because I, I I know you probably have some alien movies you'd love to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds it sounds like Nowhere is when, when you're kind enough to have me back. Nowhere is the next one to talk about. Let's do it. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well. <laughs> all right. Well, you take care, Parker. Well, thanks. You too. Thanks for having me. If you have any constructive comments, movie suggestions, or stories of your own otherworldly sightings or encounters, drop us a line at saucercinemapod at gmail.com.